Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. We go guestless today because the Miami Heat have made the playoffs after missing the playoffs two of the last three years. They're back in there, and we'll see what the matchup ends up becoming because I think that'll probably end up deciding how the Heat end up doing in these playoffs. And really, there's everything to play for. Miami could really end up playing any of the top five teams right now, Ethan, and they could end up anywhere between six and eight because Washington, Milwaukee, and the Heat are all tied at six, seven, and eight. So really, even though there's only four games left to play for a majority of these teams, they're still kind of all to play for. Yeah, and it's hard to figure out where you want to finish because you don't know where the teams at the top are going to finish because that's not settled yet either between Toronto and Boston at one and two, and it's not settled in terms of where Cleveland ends up, although you'd figure they have a pretty good shot to finish third, but the way that Philadelphia is playing right now and the the way that Philadelphia's schedule sets up, they have a chance to finish third also. So all of that could change in terms of those four teams and where they end up. I did put a poll on our uh, Twitter account, and you can check that out. We have a new handle on it at five and that's the number five at five reason sports put that on right after the heat clinched their playoff spot with a win at home against Atlanta we got more than 1300 votes on it as we speak right now and the question I asked was as a heat fan who do you want in the first round and I think basically heat fans are looking at this two different ways right when they answer that question I think there are some who are answering it in the terms of which team can we beat, right? Like, which team can we beat to get to the second round? And there are some fans that are thinking of it like, which what series be the most do fun. we want to see? Yeah. Right, which would be the most fun. And I think that's the reason that this was basically a two-team race in terms of what Heat fans wanted to see. As we speak right now, it, it's 41% for Boston. That's the who do we think we can beat part of it. Right. Then there's the 36% for Cleveland, and that's the who do we want the Heat to play against because it'll be a lot of fun and there'll be storylines and we'll get LeBron and Dwayne Wade against each other for the first time in a playoff series. And the series would be nationally relevant, too. Nationally relevant. That would be the series that would get ABC. And, and here's another fun fact here. Cleveland's the only team uh, in the Eastern Conference that the Heat has not played in a playoff series ever in their lifetime. Well, so that would be a, that. A, a first time for that. And then... 16% for Philadelphia and only 7% for Toronto. And, and again, I don't know if that's because people just don't want to see that again because we saw that two years ago, or it's because there is real respect for the Raptors this time. Although as we speak here, Chris, this comes after Cleveland beat Toronto again. So I, I you know, and, and Toronto's Kyle Lowry looked like playoff Kyle Lowry yesterday. And so there, there should be some questions I think about whether, you know, Toronto has really completely turned the corner here, but he fans, according to this poll, that's, the team that Heat fans would least like to see the Heat match up against. So we're going to go through those four, and also we're going to throw in Indiana here, Chris, just because there still is a possibility that the, that the Heat could play the Pacers in the first round. All right, so let's start with the one that's the most fun. I think that's kind of how we're going to approach this because you know I'm still a Heat fan, but I still root for interesting things more than my team to win necessarily from, from our podcasting point of view. So let's start with Cleveland, okay? So I think you have to begin from the place of you're going against LeBron in round one when he mows through teams. But you've also seen since LeBron has gone back to Cleveland, Miami has played the Cavaliers pretty well in their home building. What do you make of that matchup? 
I mean, you're right, Chris, about that. The Heat have played the Cavaliers extraordinarily well at home since LeBron's come back. Now, as as we know, you know, LeBron has set out some of those games. I think he set out three of them, right? And there were other circumstances. Kevin Love missed a couple of them. This is a different Cavaliers roster than played in most of those games. But the reality is that there's a little bit of a thing that's developed here where LeBron doesn't win here since he left. And so I think that's what Heat fans are clinging to here is that they've seen the Heat play some of their best games during the post-LeBron era against LeBron's team. Those game, A lot of these games, have they've not even been particularly close. There have been a lot of blowouts here at American Airlines Arena where the Heat have just handled the Cavaliers from the beginning, whether LeBron has played well or not. So I think that's from, from a can-we-beat-them perspective, that's what Heat fans are holding on to. Now, it's been a totally different story at Quicken Loans Arena. The Cavaliers have dominated the Heat up there, and, and again, those games have not been particularly close. So I think that's what Heat fans are holding on to. But you know, I think we need to look at this realistically as much as we can before we kind of get into the storylines of it. I mean, this year, the three games against Cleveland, you know, the Heat have scored 97, 89 and 98 points. And that's against one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Now, we can talk about whether the Heat has improved its offense lately. And clearly, since the All-Star break, the offensive rating has gone up. But the Heat have not scored against Cleveland like other teams have scored against Cleveland. I think on the Heat's Heat front, as far as what they offer in terms of a matchup against Cleveland. The things that you need to have to challenge LeBron in a playoff series. I'm not even talking about beat LeBron. And as you talked about, LeBron is much more dominant in the first round of the playoffs than Jordan ever was. I think that just the numbers bear that out. So we have to speak to that. But the one thing that Miami does have against Cleveland that a lot of teams don't have, you need two things here. You need multiple defenders who can at least make LeBron work, right? That's the first thing. And the Heat do have, I think, three of those guys. In James Johnson, who did a very good job on LeBron the last time. In Justice Winslow, who is, has had enough turns against LeBron now that at least he knows what to expect. And at times in Josh Richardson. So they have three guys that at least, they don't have to put the burden on just one player. And I did a piece for Bleacher Report a few years ago about the playoff series that LeBron lost and why he lost them. And if you look at those series, the majority of those teams that have beaten LeBron in a playoff series have had multiple defenders against him. And even recently, if you look at Golden State, you know, having the ability to go with Iguodala on him, Draymond on him, and also Livingston on him at times. So they've had Clay. So they've had four different guys that they've used on him. You can't do it with just one defender. So that's the first thing you need to have, Chris. The second thing you need to have is you have to have rim protection. You get beyond the defenders who are on the perimeter. You have to have somebody who makes him think. And, and again, you got to go back to the Heat Pacers series and the trouble that Hibbert gave LeBron during those series. And look, for all the verticality stuff and everything, Hassan Whiteside is a more athletic player than Roy Hibbert. So if Hassan is engaged... I could see you making an argument for the Heat at least having the defensive pieces in terms of perimeter guys and then having uh, having the shot blocker that can at least make LeBron work and make him a little bit less efficient than he typically is. Now, you mentioned the defense. To me, that that is the element of this series, should it come to pass, that for me, the Heat need to most take advantage of. We've actually seen a pretty decent resurgence in the Heat's offense. Now, there is some noise in there because they played some of these tanking teams, including the last couple of games, and I don't know if you're going to be able to look 
look at even a 20-game sample of the Heat with Dwayne Wade and really be able to sort out the noise because of these bottom end of the league teams that they're playing, particularly down the stretch, even as they try their hardest to lose to them and did lose to Brooklyn on Saturday night. But to me, it is taking advantage of that porous defense. Even since Kevin Love has come back, which has been a, a period of prosperity for the Cavs, they're still 19th in the league in defense. This is a bottom third of the league defensive team. And like you said, Ethan, the Heat have not taken advantage of that nearly enough. Now, they did beat them pretty strongly in the game that was played here that was a week ago. It was a 98-79 victory, but it was more of a defensive effort than an offensive one. So I haven't seen yet the Heat really sort of take advantage of this porous defense. And I don't know, and this is the ultimate wild card, is what is that extra level that LeBron gets to when he gets into the postseason because we've seen it and, and you mentioned the first round record I just looked it up it's 48 and 7 in round one over the course yeah. of LeBron James's career which is an insane figure but what is that extra level and does that include a rise in his defense and thus Cleveland's defense because I think a lot of people had the same concerns about Cleveland last year they kind of struggled with Indiana in round one last year but there hasn't been an opponent good enough to take advantage of it and I'm just not sure the heater that opponent well the question is uh, again let's flip it now we've talked about the heat defensively and and as you talk about them offensively and and for example who lebron would guard and the heat don't have the kind of dynamic wing player at this stage again with Dwayne being 36 and Josh Richardson being you know inconsistent they don't have the dynamic wing player that's going to make LeBron work so hard on defense that it takes away from his offense so I think that's that's somewhat a concern also when I look at some of the matchups in the series a lot will depend on on who starts for each team like I think Cleveland has finally found and it's happened now with Ty Lue being out we'll see what happens you know with Ty Lue kind of taking over again as head coach but I think they finally found a workable rotation like to me, if you're Cleveland, you have to start the new guys. You, you have to start Nance with love. Nance gives you that athleticism. He's very good in pick and roll situations with LeBron. It clears love to play more at the four spot, which is really where he belongs, I think. And then they've gone with Rodney Hood with George Hill in the backcourt. And that's a much better defensive backcourt than they've been using for most of the season. So you have to see how Hood and Nance in particular react to the playoffs because they have not played in a lot of those big games, particularly Nance. Um, At least Hood was in there last year with Utah. But to me, if they have that starting lineup and then we've seen that for some reason, Jose Calderon fits really well with that team. Like they've played much better with them on the floor because I think he just settles things down for them a lot. But using him off the bench, They've gone with Clarkson. Tristan Thompson's role is diminished, but you know that he has been a big offensive rebounder in the playoffs before. So I think Cleveland has a much more workable rotation than they had before. You'll have to see how the Heat counter. Like, I don't know what the Heat's starting lineup would necessarily be against Cleveland. If you're going to continue to bring Dwayne off the bench, and and I don't know that that's something that Eric's going to stick with in the playoffs. We'll see. But if you're going to continue to bring Dwayne off the bench, because, again, you're trying to get in the most impactful minutes that you possibly can and try to add some bench scoring— then and you're going to be starting Tyler Johnson at the two who are your forwards going to be it's just Josh Richardson who's the other guy that Eric is going to start against say a love Nance LeBron front court is it James Johnson to give you an additional playmaker and to be the guy who starts on LeBron do you maybe go with Justice Winslow in that situation I don't know that you need to go bigger with Olenek there we've talked on previous pods about how Whiteside and Olenek haven't played that much together but I think that's one of the interesting things to monitor is how do the heat match up to make sure that they have the right defender 
on LeBron as often as possible. All right, let's move now to the Boston Celtics because they're right now in that two position. Could get all the way up to one if the sort of results over the last kind of few games sort of bear out. But in losing to Milwaukee last night, do probably hurt their chances getting to one after Toronto lost. Maybe Boston has a preference of who they would play. Maybe we can ask that question. If a team is looking at Miami, Washington, Milwaukee, who would they prefer to play the most? But right now, I think a lot of fans are looking at Boston as an opportunity because they're without Kyrie Irving. He's missed the last 10 games after a, quote, procedure. When I see the word procedure, I think that's surgery. That is surgery. And you look at last night, so you look at the guys who are playing for the Boston Celtics right now, and there are players who, on the two seed in the East, you I've never heard of. You look at, okay, so they're really anchored by Al Horford, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, which two of those guys are really young to be carrying a playoff team of that quality. But then you have Aaron Baines starting and playing 22 minutes. You have Kadeem Allen starting at point-slash-shooting guard. I don't know who that is. He played 23 minutes last night and started. You have Marcus Morris coming off the bench. And then, you know, Greg Monroe was, well, that's a, you know, that's a lot of bigs. They're playing Horford, Baines, Marcus Morris, and Monroe. So they're a fairly big team, which allows Miami potentially to go to two bigs. And then Abdel Nader, Semi Ojale, and Gershon Yabusele. That are, that are playing minutes for the Boston Celtics. I don't know who these players are. And so you're just kind of looking at the names on the sheet and going, well, if we're going against this team, then we have a really decent chance. But a kind of crazy thing has happened. Since Kyrie Irving has gone out, the Boston Celtics went on a six-game winning streak in which they beat Oklahoma City, Portland, Utah, and Toronto. Teams that either needed games or were competing just as heavily as they are. Yes, they have Sacramento and Phoenix in there. Those don't count. But they've won impressive games. And so is this really the desirable matchup that the Heat fans might think it to be? I think, Chris, what Heat fans are also looking at is the record against Boston this year, going 2-1 and one against the Celtics when they were healthy and winning the only game in Boston at the buzzer, you know, a place that Heat teams have typically struggled at TD Garden and pulling that game out 90-89. to 89. Now, I know that was back in December, but and the Heat have not faced the Celtics in 2018, but you would feel more comfortable about it now than when you had Kyrie on the floor. So I think all of that plays into it. I think, look, a lot of this speaks to Brad Stevens, no question. I mean, the way that he's able to integrate some of these pieces. We talk about Kyrie's absence. I think Marcus Smart's absence for them is huge. I I really do. I mean, he gives them for a playoff series – you know, he, he's got some Draymond in him. He's a pit bull defensively. You can switch him onto guys much bigger than him. Marcus Smart is the type of guy, like you talk about some of Dwayne's struggles against Boston over the years, and there have been some struggles. Boston has always had a perimeter defender who has given Dwayne some problems. You know, for years it was Avery Bradley because of Avery Bradley. I know some of the metrics don't show this, but when you just watch Avery Bradley against Dwayne, this was one of the guys around the league that gave Dwayne the most trouble. Marcus Smart is an even more physical player than than Avery Bradley. And again, someone that that the Celtics could switch on to Richardson, could switch on to any any of the Heat players who happen to be the focus player at that point, switch on to Dragic. And so Boston not having him, it's not as big as not having Kyrie healthy, but I think that matters too. So again, you look at that Boston roster and they do they do look vulnerable. The one question I would have for this Heat team is 
that we've seen that in Boston that things can get away from you pretty quickly. Those road games would be very challenging for this team because, again, this team has not been through that for the most part. Um, you can talk about you know Dwayne and Dragic and, and Whiteside being in the playoffs together in 2016, but the rest of this group, for the most part, Winslow and Richardson were, were rookies at that time. Most of the rest of this group has not been in that situation together. So I think that would be challenging. But I think, Chris, a lot of this just comes down to, you know, how healthy is Kyrie when he comes back? Because like you mentioned, it's a little murky on what exactly the procedure was. And I've been through this before covering the the 14-15 Cavaliers where they were nursing Kyrie all through the playoffs, that series against the Hawks, question of whether he was going to play, wasn't going to play. And then he, he goes into the first game against the Warriors, plays one of his best defensive games I've ever seen him play, and then can't go anymore, you know, re-injures himself. So that's the big question. If Kyrie is not right, you look at the rest of that roster. Horford is not a go-to scorer. He's a really good player, but he's not a go-to scorer. And I just wonder if Tatum and Jalen Brown have kind of maxed out at this point in terms of what we can expect from guys in their first and second seasons. That for me is the argument, right? We're talking about the difference between Cleveland and Boston. Boston significantly better in the standings, but we don't think that Cleveland has maxed out. And that for me is the biggest difference. To to me, the reason why I think Heat fans would like a matchup against either Boston or Indiana, which is still in the realm of possibility, is because you want to face teams that are overachievers. You want to face teams that don't have stars. You don't want to face, and we'll get to them next, a team like Philly, who have Embiid, who have Simmons, that you know you're heading into a circle. Oh man, how are we going to guard them? Or how are we going to match up against them? I don't think there's really anyone on this Celtics team that you're concerned about matching up with. Even if Marcus Smart comes back healthy, he's not someone you're concerned about. It's really only Kyrie Irving. If he comes back, I have immense respect for Kyrie Irving. And Ethan, you saw some of his progression going from a team that was playing on fairly anonymous games that weren't that important into someone who became one of the guys that mattered. One of the guys that in a finals can deliver you top level performances so if Kyrie Irving is any kind of healthy going into this series and we'll see what that's like then I would say the Heat are up against it but if it's the Celtics in their present form as an overachieving maxed out team then the Heat and the Celtics for me are kind of the same right I still think Boston can win that series not only because they have home court advantage but because if the Heat are maxed out and don't have superstars then so are the Celtics And perhaps theirs are a bit younger, but I think that he'd have a chance to win that series, and that's why I think he fans would want it. No question. And we talk about, you know, which team some of these teams at the top would want to play. And that's an interesting debate, too, when you flip it, because I do think there are some of these teams that would want to play the Heat for exactly the reason that you're saying, that Mm -hmm. the Heat don't have a takeover player. Particularly when the other teams teams they could play have Giannis on them or the Wall-Beal combo. So I would say the Heat end up becoming the most desirable in that situation. I would think so. Now, the thing about playing against the Heat is, again, it is harder to scheme sometimes for a team. That, that you don't know where it's and coming And they're from. a pain in the ass to play against. That, that for me is, is the thing that they have going for them is that they're difficult to go against. Even if, I don't think any series, even if it's Toronto, if it's Cleveland, I don't think anyone is rolling over Miami in an easy series. I don't think so. Before we get to Philly, Toronto, and the Indiana Pacers, let's take a quick break. Hi, I'm the English guy, and I want to tell you about the Three Yards Per Carry podcast I co-present with my friends, Alf. Hello. And Chris. Hey. Each week, we get together to deconstruct the Miami Dolphins. Gossip, analysis, and insider chat, all inside a fun 45 minutes. And here's a little taste. So guys, a bit of word association for you. The Marino. Go. Go. <laughs> Tom Brady. Oh. 
Pansy. Ryan Tannehill. Dreamy. Vanilla. Baker Mayfield. God. Balls. Michael Bolton. No, no, wait. Don't answer that. The Three Yards Per Carry podcast out every Thursday. Plenty of Miami Dolphins chat. Uh, not so much Michael Bolton. Let's get to the third team that he could face in the postseason, and that is Philly. And I actually find this one fascinating given that I think Heat fans, because of the culture and everything that has kind of happened with the Heat in the three-plus years since LeBron left, how they could have gone through a, quote, process last year at 11-30 and 30 and elected instead to turn around their season and almost make the playoffs. I think a lot of Heat fans have derision for the process and for what happened in Philly, and we're mocking it for a while, and there was always this conversation between who would you rather be, Philly or the Heat, and here is Philly six games up on them, or five and a half games up on them in the standings as we tape here on a Wednesday. So looking at this matchup, they have those kind of dynastic superstar talents that the process was meant to yield in Embiid and Simmons. Now Embiid is a question because of his face injury, had surgery to repair his orbital socket in his eye. So it's not totally clear whether he's going to be ready, but they are the hottest team going in. And there have been statistical studies that say that If you're hot going into the playoffs, it doesn't necessarily matter that your form at the beginning of the season almost has as much to do with your form as the end of the season. But anecdotally, winning 11 in a row, figuring out how to play without Joel Embiid a little bit, they're a dangerous team going in. Yeah, they definitely are. And you mentioned having the two budding superstars right now. And look, Embiid's injury is is not the type that once he's fine, he'll be fine. Right. I mean, it's not it's not a question of him, you know, injuring a knee and he's had back trouble and all that other sort of stuff where you're worried about it being a lingering thing. So let's just take this assuming Embiid is going to be available because things totally change, obviously, if he's not, you know, the Heat and the Sixers have split four games this year. They've all been reasonably competitive games, so they've been close the thing about philadelphia that you have to really like right now is that they made a couple of sort of under the radar moves to build out their depth and to me these are two really big moves for them in terms of the, of, of going into the playoffs adding bellinelli and getting Ilyasova back two guys who've played really well since they've gotten them back bellinelli is shooting 37 percent from three in his 23 games with Philadelphia, shooting 51% overall, averaging almost 13 a game. Ilyasova's averaging uh, 10 points and six rebounds per game since he's come back. Guys who are 30 and 31 years old. So this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said done. You know, one of the questions I had about Philadelphia was, are they just too young, right? Is it just not ready to make the move? Because it's not just Embiid and Simmons. It's also, you know, Darius Saric, you know, being 23 years old, and then whatever they get from Fultz, which, you know, that's sort of an X factor here. But, I mean, you're talking about a 19-year-old, and even some of their role players, Rashawn Holmes is 24, TJ McConnell is 25. I mean, they're a young group that hasn't been through this before, but I think adding those two pieces to go with J.J. Redick, they now have three guys guys who are all accomplished shooters who can spread the floor for their two stars who are the types of guys when you have veteran shooters in the playoffs that's so important i mean go back to the heat's great run with the big three era and the importance of having a guy like even though he wasn't playing a lot a guy like mike miller who could have a game like he had against oklahoma city or a guy like shane battier who could have a game like even after he'd been benched against indiana uh, have a game like he had against san antonio in the finals uh, or obviously you know to go to ray allen and some of the others to have you know reddick bellinelli and Ilyasova uh, all available to you all of whom can shoot the three. I mean, Bellinelli is averaging almost five attempts a game from three. Since he came to Philly, Ilyasova is averaging over three. Reddick's averaging six and a half. So high-volume three-point shooters who are accurate from deep to go with the two stars makes them really dangerous. Yeah, and the thing to me about Philly is we talk about the heat and their depth as sort of a credit to them. You mentioned the Ilyasova and the Bellinelli standings, but even without Embiid, they have a 10-man rotation that is sort of made up of adult basketball players who know how to play. Now, Markel Fultz is included in that group. To me, the kind of best thing that's happened for Markel Fultz is that the team has been good without him. Yes, they trade up to go and get the number one pick to try and kick on, but they're 47 and 30. They can win 50 games without Markel Fultz really contributing that much. And so they've built themselves a solid team. They're a good core. And now you don't have to start Markel Fultz. He doesn't have to start. You don't have to figure out, well, how do we play Embiid and Simmons and all these guys together? You don't have to figure that out. He can just be a valuable bench contributor. And then you go into next year and hopefully the shot is fixed and all that stuff happens. But I've kind of liked what I've seen from Markel Fold says, first off, the guy who's coming off the bench as probably their chief playmaker. But secondly, the fans have gotten behind him and sort of want to see him succeed. And there's kind of this buzz whenever he comes into the game. I think he can play a role in the postseason for them. So they scare me the most, I would say, even more than Toronto at this point. Not just because of the way that they're playing, but because of the balance that they have in their team. They have Simmons, who has been incredible since Embiid went out. Double doubles, triple doubles. He's just been incredible, even in 25 minutes the other night against Brooklyn 
15, 12, and 6. I think he's become an incredible player as quickly as it could happen. And Embiid, for me, is the ultimate X factor. I know the Heat play him well, and generally the Heat have played Philadelphia pretty decently in terms of not having their stars play their best games against Miami. But I really like the look of this team, and I think the process has yielded results. And It's something that I know we're kind of focusing from a Heat point of view, but from a larger angle, watching this team go to 47 and 30 this year, they can win 50 games depending on how their season closes. This is a pretty remarkable progression from a team. It's kind of like the Astros, how they just kind of arrived on the stage and were, and were ready to be there. I think Philly is still maybe a year or two away from that, but for them to be at this point now is pretty insane. And to do it when they busted out on a couple of picks, too. I mean, yeah. uh, Nerland's Noel is not there anymore and was kind of a bust in Dallas this year. Not kind of. He was really a bust in Dallas this year. And then Okafor, they gave away for nothing. And yet they're still in this position, at, you know, after Embiid and Simmons both missed entire seasons. And as you mentioned, Markel Fultz has basically missed the entire season. He's only played nine games at this stage. So, But, but again, I keep coming back to the additions they made, the veteran additions, mm-hmm. because they're so important for them. And they're in a position right now, if you look at the minute distribution on this team, Embiid's averaging 30 minutes. They haven't had to extend him. Reddick's at 30. You know, Simmons gets a little more at 34. He can certainly handle it. But you look at some of the others, you know, they trust their bench guys. Um, you know, Bellinelli's averaging 26 minutes a game. Ilyasova's averaging 23. Bayless is averaging close to 24. TJ McConnell is, is averaging 23. Holmes is averaging 15. So they do go, as you mentioned, they go eight or nine deep in the playoffs. I also think people are seeing that they made a very smart decision is even after the management change from Hanky to Colangelo to keep Brett Brown around, you know, because there are a lot of organizations that would have dumped him and blamed him for what was not really his fault. And now you can see some of these young players who have developed. Now, how far can they go? I, I'm not sure. But I think for the Heat, they just present a couple of different problems. As you mentioned, you know, Whiteside does get up for Embiid. So that's that's encouraging. But to have two guys in Embiid and Simmons who are such difficult covers and then all of that shooting that the Heat defenders would have to get out to is challenging. And I look on the other end, Philadelphia has been good defensively, good enough at least, that they would make the Heat work. So I, I, it's just not a very favorable match. But I think that's one of those series where we would look at and say it's a 4-1 situation and just say, yeah, the Heat the Heat need to get a star. I, I think that's yeah. – you obviously say it when you go against LeBron, but there is no other LeBron, obviously. But what I think in that series – it would become pretty obvious to people that that the Heat need a takeover player because there would be games in that series that Embiid or Simmons would take over. Now let's get to the team that people have questions about if they have real stars. Now DeRozan and Lowry have been incredible for Toronto this year, but there is always that looming question of will they do it in the playoffs and can you even be a guy that is leaned on as a superstar that is a building block if you can't deliver. So the Toronto Raptors currently sit top of the conference, 55-22. and They were incredible for the first, I would say, five months, six months of the season. But lately, it hasn't been as good. Now, some of that can probably be sort of attributed to being on cruise control and knowing you're pretty well going to be the one seed. They're two games up on Boston with five games left to play. They've been fantastic at home this year, 31-7. and They've been better on offense. But I still think the Heat might fancy themselves in a series, or at least the Heat fans, the Heat players, might think they have a chance to win or at least give Toronto a competitive series, which if you look at the standings, they're 14 or 13 and a half games off of Toronto at the top of the conference. You would think Toronto in a runaway. I think there are Heat fans that think this series can go seven. Do you agree with them? 
I think it can. And, and again, you look at the first two games against Toronto, they were both tight, right? The Heat won by a point in Toronto and and they lost by three in Toronto the second time around. And there's one more game left. And it, it still does mean something to the Raptors. We don't know what it's going to mean to the Heat at that stage. But I, I think in both of those games, I mean, you saw some of the reasons that the Heat do think they can compete with Toronto. I mean, so much. Look, we can talk about Toronto's bench and it has been extraordinary this year with guys that the average NBA fan is not familiar with, right? Like Masai Ujiri, like he turned that thing over. That You look at some of the guys that are no longer there, the Patrick Pattersons. I mean, a lot of the players that have been there, you know, dumping Damari Carroll this offseason and what they've plugged in with with some of these draft picks who were unheralded at the time and even a guy like Van Vliet who was not drafted and the way that he's played off the bench. I mean, their bench lineup has been one of the best lineups in the league, not just as a bench lineup, but one of the best lineups in the entire league, including starters and any other combination that you could come up with. So that's an element that Toronto hasn't necessarily had in recent years. If you remember a couple of years ago, James Johnson was playing minutes for them, and then that kind of went away in the series against the Heat. So they they were much more in flux. Right now they know what their rotation is. But you're right. It comes down to Lowry and DeRozan. And I'm going to focus more on on Lowry because DeRozan's had some up and down periods in the playoffs, but I think he's done enough to show that he's expanded his game. He's added more of a, a distance element to in terms of the three ball, and, and he has had some big games in the postseason. But with Kyle Lowry, there is going until he proves otherwise, there is going to be this question with him. And I go back to the 2016 series against the Heat. I remember being at a press conference at their practice facility and and you know he just admitted how terrible he'd been. And he's been through those patches in a lot of different playoff series. And so, you know, you can say, well, their bench is better. Valanchunas is better than he was. They have a lot of complementary pieces. They've changed the offense completely from what it was before. They're still solid defensively. Dwayne Casey deserves credit. And still say, is Kyle Lowry going to play big when it matters in in the playoffs? And the thing about that is that starts to compound on itself, Chris, because when you've had problems before, if he has a bad shooting game in game one, that's all he's going to hear about until game two. And and that's what happened with him two years ago. And I think that does present an opening. Like, we haven't talked about Dragic much on the pod, but if Goran Dragic outplays Kyle Lowry in a playoff series, the Heat have a pretty good chance to win that series, um, I, I think. And the, what would be a question for the Heat is, what do they do with DeRozan? But you would assume that they start Josh Richardson on him. And, you know, the one thing that has not suffered for Josh in the second half of the season has been his defense. So at least you have an answer for DeRozan at that position. You know, I and again, I you know, Wade defending him at this stage may be more challenging, but but I think at least that he'd have some answers there. And for me, the difference between Toronto and years past and now is sharing the basketball. And even with Kyle Lowry, even if he does turn in a bad shooting performance, to me the difference is, is that they're not necessarily relying him to play iso ball and there's one statistic to me that outlines this better and where I think statistics can help in the analysis which is you look at last year assist percentage which is percentage of shots that are assisted last year that number was 47.2 percent less than half when you compare to Golden State 70.5 so that's the gap in the league it's about 23 percentage points Golden State they shared the basketball they played team basketball that's why I like watching them play so much I don't know if that's why other teams, other people like watching them play. Toronto, so they went from 30th last year to 11th this year. And that for me is the ultimate difference is that even if DeRozan and Lowry don't turn in their best performances, 
they've been brilliant. They've used the ball a lot. But they've also become part of a large... It's become a little bit more of a decentralized team. As good as they are, even if their shot attempts look the same... It's still not, all right, DeRozan and Lowry, take us home. They have an incredible bench that I don't know if it'll be the same in the playoffs or if they'll be able to run teams off the floor like they have in the regular season, but it's a really good bench and and we'll, we'll hopefully get to see them sort of in full flow. They have other parts that are contributing at the same level as Lowry and DeRozan are, so I don't think it's just on them to in in and of themselves, in isolation, create shots. So I don't think we're going to see, even if Kyle Lowry has a bad game, I don't think we'll see it for seven because there's too much of an infrastructure there of a team and not just individuals forced to create for themselves that I don't think we see the same Raptors. Now, it's really hard as sort of an NBA viewer to get those pictures out of your head and really sort of be able to prognosticate that they're going to be entirely different or you're just sort of expecting that they're going to be themselves. I think they have a real chance just by virtue of what they've created in the regular season to go and do that. I do think that would be a long competitive series. I think even if it's a 1-8 matchup, which is possible that it could be, even with the Heat schedule looking pretty favorable here down the stretch where I don't think they're going to be the 8, but even if it is a 1-8 situation, I think that could be a 7-game series, and then all of those questions about Toronto are going to come back. I mean, look, Chris, at how quickly they came back in terms of the Cleveland thing with them, right? Like, all year, the narrative was the Raptors are different, the Raptors are different, the Cavaliers are struggling, the Cavaliers had to make wholesale changes, the Raptors tweaked and everything looks great and then two games between the Raptors and the Cavaliers and the narrative is completely flipped into the Raptors can't beat LeBron and I just wonder if the second narrative for the Raptors is that they struggle in the playoffs and if the Heat can go up to Toronto and get a split in the first two games they're going to be hearing about that before they come back here and I think that makes for a long series. And Lowry going 2-for-11 in the game as well on Tuesday night against Cleveland won't help kind of that narrative perception either. But those are later rounds. We're talking about a series with the Heat. So I feel like Toronto has more than enough to take care of them. Last one we'll get to here is Indiana because it is still a mathematical possibility even after the Pacers lost last night in Denver by three. Again, we're taping this on a Wednesday. So they are two losses back of Philly and Cleveland with for them, four games left to play, so it'll take some doing to get into a position where Miami could end up playing them, but we'll sort of take a look at them anyway and allow ourselves to ask the question again, how the hell are they doing this? <laughs> I don't know, man. I lo- I That's on the tombstone the- of their season, man. Yeah, I study the numbers on this, and I you know, I still can't entirely figure it out. I mean, when you look at them from I a I really team enjoyed watching them play, though, because when, when the Heat played them a few weeks ago, it was on a Sunday, I remember, and I, I watched almost all of that game they just play really good basketball I think that's really the only the only answer is that we think it's Oladipo but they play crisp team basketball so how are they doing it Uh, you know look Oladipo freed from Westbrook we talked about that with Vinny Goodwill on the last pod Uh, certainly that's he's been a huge factor in what they've done but they've gotten sort of above average performances from guys who were not considered necessarily to be above average players. Um, I look at the year that Darren Collinson's had for them and Darren Collinson didn't play well for them, particularly his last time with them. But you look at the year that he's had, you know, averaging close to 13 a game, averaging five and a half assists, shooting 50% from the floor this year and 46% from three. Now, not a high volume in 
terms of his three-point shooting. But at 30 years old, you know, Darren Collison has found a role. You wouldn't consider him to be, you know, an elite point guard. He's found a role with them. So they've been able to get above career performances from a few different guys. And they've even gotten pretty consistent play from Lance Stevenson, which is a, a surprise. I mean, he doesn't shoot it well from three and he shouldn't shoot it as much as he does, but he's given them energy on some nights. He's still a good rebounder for a guard. He averages five rebounds a game. And so, They've got a lot of these pieces. Now, with all of that being said, I would have to think the Heat would welcome a matchup against them because uh, a couple of reasons. One, we talk about lack of star power, and we can talk up Oladipo quite a bit, but I don't know that they'd be afraid of Oladipo completely taking over a series. He would still be the best player in the series, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it's close. I mean, I think you could make an argument that, I mean, if Dragic is getting to his spots, you can make an argument argument for Goran. You can also make an argument, again, we, we keep coming back to this, you can make an argument that Hassan has the potential to be. I don't know if he becomes that. But, yeah, I think on paper you would say Oladipo. But I don't think it's a huge disparity in terms of what you might expect possibly Goran to produce in a series like that. But you go to some of the other pieces. And, again, they have some useful pieces. Thad Young's a useful piece. But I, I do think you look at some of the other guys on the Heat. I think there's more upside with some of the Heat players. Could Josh Richardson you know, have a more productive series than, say, Bogdanovich does? I, I think that's possible possible with with Josh Richards the skill set and some of the other guys that the Heat have I look I would as well as Indiana's played this year you look at the point differential it's not all that different for Miami's right now Indiana's at uh, plus 1.8 I think the Heat are at plus one or plus 0.7 so it's not all that different I would favor even as the road team I, I would give the Heat a chance to win that series where I want to close, obviously, we, we sort of went through the five teams. So do you think when you look at – so Miami right now is grouped with Washington and Milwaukee. So we talked about what the Heat would want. What would the top five want? Rank the teams, Miami, Washington, Milwaukee, as the teams that those opponents would want to face. Well, I think we got to be honest with ourselves here and look at those three teams and what they offer. And we keep talking about the lack of a star and how important a star is in the playoffs. And I would have to think that the order of preference would be Miami first because they don't have that star in his prime. And then I think it would be Washington just because of the questions about Wall's situation. You know, how well do they integrate him back in? Does he just kind of take over again? How healthy is he going to be? Where do you go with that, even though obviously Otto Porter is, has emerged this year and they have veteran guys who've been through it, their bench is still not great. I would say they're I would say the team you'd least like to play because it's just the the X factor is is just you know Giannis going nuts. I mean, <laughs> I can see him having 35, 11, and eight games. You know that that type of game where he just completely takes over. I think that's a real possibility. And so especially we've seen Bledsoe playing better over the last month. I still don't know exactly how Jabari Parker fits. To have Bledsoe uh, playing at that level with Giannis, that's a really difficult challenge. And, and you just have to you have to devote so much defensive energy to trying to control Giannis. And because he's unconventional, because he's not getting his points, you know, by jacking up a bunch of jumpers or anything like that. It's just so much of it is can you keep him out of transition? Can you, you know, keep him from, from getting one of those Giannis runs where it's an 8-0 Giannis run where, you know, a steal and a dunk and that kind of stuff. That's really challenging. So we talk about the Heat being tough to play against. I don't think that anybody's going to look at the Heat as a patsy. I think they're going to 
be worried about them. I think they're going to be worried about Dwayne because of Dwayne's history. I think they're going to be worried about what kind of a series that Whiteside will have. And then I think there is respect for the Heat's collection of, of role guys. And if you get the good James Johnson, for instance, if Ellington is having one of those nights, you know, where I think there is respect for a lot of those players and we've seen Olenek can step up in the playoffs, but that doesn't compare to having to deal with a supernova athlete like Giannis. So I would say the Heat would be the most favorable opponent for those three teams. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say that Milwaukee is the team that you'd want the most. And even understanding that they have Giannis, right, and the Heat have nothing like Giannis, it just feels like such a lost season for them. When you look at them firing their coach, them unable to find a defensive strategy that works. Obviously, offensively, just by virtue of Giannis' star power, they've been a top-10 offense, but they're still a team that doesn't really make sense together. If you watch them play, they're not a team that really has a, a team identity, a team strategy that really works for them I think Milwaukee has to figure themselves out at organizational level before they can really start to compete in these series and maybe they'll figure out in these playoffs and maybe Giannis will just turn in a superhuman performance but in terms of the team you'd want to play I still think you'd rather play Milwaukee than Miami and then Washington I would still rather face Miami over Washington but they're also in disarray the Wizards even if you look at their recent results and I know there are some people who were, who were saying yeah but they're trying to get into that eight spot or they're trying to play Boston so they've been losing lately but their minutes distribution does not suggest a team that is trying to lose they're still playing Bradley Beal 29 minutes and Otto Porter 31 minutes when they lost to the Bulls by 19 that should never be happening and so it's getting pretty late in the game for John Wall to come back and even when John Wall was healthy and ready to go there was still some concern about how he's getting along with the rest of his teammates with how he's getting along with Bradley Beal specifically and I know they got to a seventh game last year and probably should have gone to the conference finals ahead of Boston, and a lot of that team is still the same. It's just been long enough. It's 78 games where they haven't been able to figure it out, and then you're dealing with John Wall coming back from a pretty major injury. I don't know if Washington is really that difficult of a matchup at this point, even considering that they probably have two superstar players to Miami's none. So I don't think that, even being honest with themselves, that those other teams are also in rough shape heading into these playoffs enough to where I think Miami can sort of think of themselves as they, don't, they wouldn't want to play us and probably be right. All right, so we ran through the matchups that the Heat can face and sort of the Heat's desirability in sort of uh, who, who a team would want to face them or compared to Milwaukee and Washington. So that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. If you want to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play or whatever podcast platform it is you use. If it is a non-iTunes Google Play, just search 5 Reason Sports and it'll come up. We are on Twitter at 5 Reason Sports. That's the number 5. We change it up a little bit. 5 Reasons Sports. That is how you check us out. And that'll do it for this edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. Podcast.